Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Uh, last week we began a new teaching series on faith, hope and love. I think most of you will probably be aware of that. Maybe you were here for that. Uh, Rich Jones did a fantastic job kicking us off in that, setting the scene and giving us some definitions of these huge building blocks um, that, as Rich reminded us, will go on forever and ever. And um, this morning what I'd like to do is unpack one of them. Just as a starting point for us, I'd like to talk about hope this morning. And I'd like to talk about reasons for our hope. So the Apostle Peter said um, in his first letter, he said, If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. If someone asks you for the reason for your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And I really want us all to be ready to explain why we have this hope and why we have this irrepressible hope within us that drives us. And this morning, I'd like to talk about five reasons for the hope that we have. Last week, one of the definitions that Rich gave us for hope, I wrote this down, and I I really, really love this. He said, hope was a joyful and confident expectation of receiving what God has promised. Hope is a joyful and confident expectation of receiving what God has promised. That's so simple, isn't it? And the reason why we're going to look at reasons for hope is that we need to understand why we have a joyful and why we have a confident expectation for the hope of receiving what God has promised to us. So I'm going to read some scriptures as we go through. They're going to be up on the screen. You don't need to look them up in your Bibles, but if you want to do that, that's fine. I think it's always good to read along in the scripture. Um, So let's start with the first one. First reason for our hope. Our hope is in a person. And in John 11, 25, Jesus, who's the person, if you hadn't guessed already this morning, uh, said... I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. That's what Jesus said about himself. No one had ever claimed that before, and no one, to be honest with you, has ever claimed it since. As someone once said, one of my favorite writers, C.S. Lewis, he was either lying, he was a lunatic, or he really is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And he really is the resurrection and the life. So the reason for the hope that we have is all based, and it starts with the person and work of Jesus Christ. It rests solely and utterly and completely upon him. Upon him being who he said he is. And he is who he says he is. And we'll see that as we go through in terms of our hope that that is the case. And knowing that is the case. Here's the really important thing. I'm going to tell you two things that it's not based on. The hope that we have is not based on a philosophy or a clever argument or a lifestyle choice. Our hope is not based on any of those things. It's not based on a system of religion. It's not based on a well-worn technique of living. It's not based on any of those things. When Jesus wrote to the... Sorry, when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he said... When I came to you, I didn't come to you with clever arguments. I didn't come to you with worldly wisdom, with philosophies and arguments that would bring you over to my position. Instead, I preached Christ and him crucified. 
I didn't come to you with clever words because my life isn't based on clever words. Because you know what? Philosophies and arguments change over time. And if anyone has won us over to Christ with a clever argument, well, someone else can always come along with a better argument, can't they? And that's not why we came to Christ. And it's not based on me. My hope is not based on me. It's based on him. It's not based on who I am. It's not based on where I came from. It's not based on the upbringing I had. It's not based on the challenges I faced or didn't face, on the privileges I had or didn't have. It's not based on any of those things. It's not based on my intellect. It's not based on my skills. I bring nothing to the party. It's all based on him, on Jesus Christ. He is unique. There is no one else like him. Jesus was raised from the dead, the writer to the Hebrews tells us, because he has the power of an indestructible life. He's unique because he is man and he is fully God. I don't understand that, but it's true. And that means there's no one else that could have come and rescued us and brought us back to the Father God. There's no one else that can bridge that gap. One of the scriptures that David read this morning was, there's only one mediator. There's only one person in all of history who could bring God and man back together, that could repair the divide, that could deal with sin and restore things to the way God had intended. That's one person, Jesus Christ. There's no one like him. He's irrepressible. He's unmovable. He's unstoppable. He's unchangeable. He's all-powerful. There is literally no one like him in all of history. And that is our first reason for hope. As I go through these reasons for hope, I just want to pause each time because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to each of us this morning. So I'm just going to take some time to pause each time. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, if you will. I'm asking you to do that just so you can free yourself from any distractions from looking around. And I want us, each of us now, just between you and the Lord, just to ask the Lord and to ask yourself this question. What is my hope resting upon? What is my hope resting upon? Sometimes when we have a sudden change in our life, when something comes out of left field which we didn't expect and it upsets the balance in our life a sudden shift can rob us of our peace it may be um, something in our bodies that's been persisting for a while and starts to play on our minds about what could be wrong it could be a member of our family could be a situation at work. But when things shift and change suddenly, when we contemplate losing something, does it rob us of our faith? And I just want to encourage each of us right now just to ask the Holy Spirit who is here and present and ready, Lord, am I resting on Jesus? Am I solely resting on Jesus? Or am I... Have I been putting weight on other things? Have I been leaning on other things? Am I drawing from other things for my peace and my security? 
Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would speak to us right now, each one of us, Lord. Just show us where that may be the case. Lord, show us any areas where reliance needs to move from other things and be put solely upon you. You are our sole hope. You are our rock. Amen. Amen. Second reason for our hope is we have a hope which is eternal. And we've talked about this this morning. We've hinted at this in some of our prayers and in the prophetic word that came. Ephesians 1 verse 4 in the NLT says this. Even before he made the world, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. When the Bible talks about before the world or before the foundation of the world, it can be, our first thought can be that, well, that's sort of before time, isn't it? Think of it in the past, if you like. But time is something that God has created. It's part of creation. Understand, uh, scientists now understand that space and time are really the same thing, the fabric of reality. And eternity is God. God is eternity. He has no beginning. He has no end. But he created a start and a beginning of time. And everything that happens in the whole of history will happen on that timeline. And what the Bible is telling us is that God has decided the outcome of your life and my life before he even created the timeline on which you and I live. Before it was created, God decided that he was going to call you and make you part of his kingdom. Before he even breathed life into us. And that means that the outcome of what God has decided cannot be changed. When the Bible talks about eternal things, they are things that have been decided and set, and there's nothing in time-space that can change the outcome of what has been decided in eternity. When we talk about things that are temporal, we're talking about things that happen on that timeline. Our hope does not rest on events that sit on that timeline. Our hope rests in eternity. Before the timeline was even created, before the fabric of creation was even breathed into life, the Lamb of God decided to lay down his life to restore us because he knew and could see the beginning and the end, because he's the Alpha and the Omega. Our hope needs to be in eternal things. Our hope needs to be looking, as the Lord said to us this morning, to the eternal and not to the temporal. The things which are temporal will always change. And here's the real challenge for us. Things that are temporary, that persist for a time, look like they're permanent. There are lots of situations that you've had in your life. There are lots of situations you've observed around you. There are lots of situations that are going on in the world right now that when we look, they look intractable. They look unchangeable. Nothing is going to change this. But the one thing I can tell you is that they will change because everything that's temporal changes and it changes in a very unpredictable way. It's the opposite of that which is eternal. So here's the question I just want us to ask ourselves. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes again. And this is really in response to what the Lord has already said to us this morning. 
What am I looking at? What am I looking at? Am I looking to eternal things? Am I looking to things that are valued in eternal terms? Or am I looking to temporal things? I'll say a bit more. Am I looking forward to events in my life and my hope is tied up with those things? It could be a very legitimate and exciting and happy event, like a child that's been longed for, maybe a grandchild that's been longed for. Maybe it's a stage of life that you may long for. Maybe it's a lifestyle and a standard of living that you aspire to. For some people, it may just be something like retirement. The nirvana of retirement. Lots of people I meet are living for retirement. It may be a job that you feel that you're owed, that's overdue, a promotion that you've been overlooked for. But these things can dominate our eyeline. They can dominate the horizon and they can crowd out eternal things. And I just pray right now, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, not in a condemnation, but Lord, in the light of revelation, would you come right now, Holy Spirit, and just show us where some of those temporal things have come into our eye line, Lord, and have started to dominate the horizon for us, where we're struggling to look beyond them. And our hope is becoming intertwined with them. Lord, we want to respond to your prophetic word this morning, to raise our eye line, to look to you, Lord, to look to eternity and the plans and purposes you have for us, your people, and for this world, that all of this earth will be filled with the glory of God, as surely as the waters cover the sea. Amen. Amen. Here's the third thing. We have a hope with a guarantee. Ephesians 1, verses 13 to 14, I'm reading from the NIV, says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Hallelujah. I'm going to read that last bit again. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing, guaranteeing our inheritance. Thank you, Lord. You know, a seal is a mark of ownership. We're his now. We belong to him. Nothing can change that. It's an outcome set in eternity. Nothing can change it. We belong to him. And that means we are guaranteed the inheritance that comes from him. We are the children of God. Jesus has brought us into an inheritance that cannot be taken away from us. No matter what anything or anyone else says or tries to do. And actually this word seal that's used here, that Paul uses... 
it was a word used in the ancient world where goods were sent to a destination and they were sealed. So they were sealed closed, but they were embossed with a seal. And that seal was a guarantee that when those goods got to their destination, first of all, they would be protected because they were under the authority of the sender. But not only that, but they had not been interfered with along the way. No one had intercepted them. The seal would be there in place. And what Paul is saying is, I've given you the Holy Spirit to seal you for the day of salvation. I've given you the Holy Spirit so that if anyone comes to try to stop you in your journey, to stop you getting to the destination, my Holy Spirit is there as the seal to protect you and say, no, this person belongs to God. No one can interfere with their destiny. How wonderful is that? (laughs) You know, folks, the destination is set, but the journey is uncertain. We all know this, don't we? When we've walked on earth for a while, when we've walked with the Lord for a while, we know that life doesn't become predictable when we come into the kingdom of God, but the destination is guaranteed, not the journey. Our arrival is what's guaranteed not the journey we take to get there. And sometimes we question that and say, well, why can't it be more straightforward? Why can't life in the kingdom just be straight from A to B? Why can't it just be a a straightforward life and then off to kingdom and off to heaven? Thank you very much. Because along that journey, the Lord allows the route to be uncertain so that at times when we don't think we're going to get to the destination, we remember that our hope is the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit who will get us to our destination. And that builds our faith and our trust in him that often, despite the circumstances, the spirits within us saying, don't worry, I'm going to get you there. Don't worry. No matter what anyone else says about you, I'm going to get you there. No matter anyone else says you're not going to make it, I'm going to ensure that you make it. I'm your guarantee. I'm your seal of ownership. I'm the one that will get you to your destination. So don't fear, but trust. Have faith and stand on the hope that I've given you by my indwelling presence. That's just one of the things that the Holy Spirit does for us. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? The God of the whole universe comes and lives within us and brings us his reassuring peaceful and yet powerful presence and we don't need to be without him for any single second of our life when we go to sleep he's with us he's sustaining us he's protecting us when we wake up when we don't even think about him he's thinking about us he's looking after us he goes before us he's behind us he's around us he surrounds us he's devoted to getting us to our destination and that's why we have this hope with a guarantee. Jesus, uh, Paul wrote to the Philippians and he said, that which God has begun in you, I am confident, there's that joyful confidence, that God will finish it. And whatever's going on in your life, there have been times in my life when I've sometimes wondered whether I'm going to get there. Sometimes that's been challenges that have come into my life. More often than not, it's been because of me that I'm going to be the stumbling block, that I'm going to be the thing that stops me getting there. And the Holy Spirit says, don't worry about that. I knew all about you before I took you on. Yes. 
You're going to get there. I'm going to make sure of it. And I have more confidence in his ability to do that than my inability not to do that. Just close your eyes for a moment. Here's the question I just want you to ask yourself. Do I know where I'm going? Do I know where I'm going? You see, if we're sealed and sent, we should have a sense of purpose, destination. We are pilgrims on a journey. And we're going where God has sent us to. What's driving your life? What's the driving force in my life? Just take a moment to think about that. What's the driving force in my life? What gets me up in the morning? At the beginning of a year when I look ahead, what's the thing that excites me the most? What's the thing that gives me my sense of purpose? I believe some people have prophetic words that God has spoken over your life, but you've lost sight of them. Or those words feel like they've just lost their power and potency. Maybe in the last couple of years, you've just felt that you've drifted away from them. You've kind of lost sight of of what was driving your life the things that God had spoken over your life, the things, that God, the things that God had promised you, and you've lost sight of those things. And actually, if you're completely honest, maybe there's a bit of drift. I think all of us in the last couple of years have had an opportunity that the Lord doesn't want us to miss to just ask ourselves that question and to consider whether we've just begun to drift a little. And I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit, say, Lord, is there there drift in my life? Have I lost sight of some things that had a heavenly pull upon me? For some people, I believe that they need prophetic word into their life. Some of you, I believe, the Holy Spirit has prophetic words waiting for you. But you know what? He's waiting for you to ask. He's waiting for hunger Lord, speak into my life. Be specific. Show me what you want me to give myself to in the years ahead. Lord, I pray for each one of us right now that, Lord, you would enable us to be honest. Lord, not to feel condemned, but, Lord, just to hear from you whether we are being pulled in the direction we should be or whether we've drifted off course. Holy Spirit, would you bring a course correction where it's needed? Lord, if there's a lack of impetus, I pray that you would speak into lives. If that's you and you feel that you need a word from the Lord, I want to encourage you to seek one. Ask him first and foremost. But come and speak to us. We'd love to pray over you. We have people of gift in this house that will prophesy into your life. Amen. Amen. Number four. We have hope which is based on evidence. 
Acts 1-3 in the Good News Bible. The good old Good News Bible. I encourage you to, to read the Good News Bible sometimes. There are some excellent renderings in the Good News. There are also some excellent renderings in the NLT. I have to say that because some people have the impression that I don't like the NLT. I love the NLT. Some of the time. Good News Bible, Acts 1-3 says this. For 40 days after his death, Jesus, he appeared to them many times in ways that proved beyond doubt that he was alive. In ways that proved beyond doubt that he was alive. Jesus is still proving beyond doubt that he is alive. The evidence for the life death and resurrection of Jesus from a historical perspective is excellent, exceeding everything else that we know that happened in the ancient world, that we take as fact. That's the first thing. But it didn't stop there in the first century with facts that were substantiated at the time. It continued through the whole of history because Jesus has been changing lives He's been healing bodies. He's been restoring minds. He's been making people whole and restored for hundreds of years since then. And he's doing it today on a scale that he's never been able to do it before because there are more people on the earth and there are more believers on the earth and the kingdom is expanding at an exponential rate as he said it would. We have hope that is based on evidence. Jesus is proving himself today in changed lives. Jesus has resurrection power. An indestructible life. The power to change your life and my life is Jesus' resurrection power. It is the power, as Mike prayed this morning, and what a fantastic prayer, Mike. I'm pointing over there, he's not actually in the room, is he? No. The spirit of Mike is in that chair... And I'm saying, what a fantastic prayer it was this morning. (laughs) The irrepressible resurrection life. And Mike prayed that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in us. And is now at work in the earth. So when we read the news reports and when we see the situation that seems intractable and unchangeable and unmovable, we know that there's a force on earth that nothing else can resist or stand in its way. It's the resurrection power of Jesus. Death itself couldn't hold him. Nothing else can come close to that in even trying. Here's the question I have for us. If you just close your eyes again. I want you to ask, this is a difficult question. Okay, I'm just going to prepare you. This is not going to be easy. I, I find this a really difficult question. Where is the evidence of his resurrection power in my life? Where is the evidence of his resurrection power in my life? I found this difficult because I thought about my life and I thought how much of the things that I'm thinking about right now are recent Can I point to things where I've seen the resurrection power at work in me and through me? Or are there periods of my life where I may be short of material? 
Maybe I've been coasting and I didn't realise it. Every day is an adventure in the kingdom of God. David has taught us on many occasions that every day is an opportunity for God to move. God doesn't want to move once a week, once a month, every now and then. He wants to move every day. And there are gaps in my days. There are days when I can't say this, but I know I want to say this. For some people it may be that um, it's difficult to articulate. Maybe you find it difficult to articulate, to explain, to, to tell someone how the resurrection power of, of Jesus is working in your life. Maybe you're sitting with a colleague at work and they say, well, what, what difference does it really mean being a, a Christian? And suddenly the whole office opens up in a hole and you just go, well, I don't know, it's great. I don't know what else to say. Well, you know, the Bible teaches us that the people who are most powerful and effective at articulating the message were the people who told their story. You can't argue with someone's story. No, that didn't happen to you. Yes, it did. You weren't there. No, I wasn't. Fair enough. We need to be people of God who are telling our story. And there are some people in this house who are really good at telling their story, really good at articulating it. There are people who can help you here if you don't know how to tell your story. That's fine. That's okay. It's nothing to be, um, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to be, um, feel it's a weakness. We are here to help each other. God has put gifts across this body. And there are plenty of people in this room who are really good at telling stories. They're really good at telling other people's stories. They can help you tell your story in a way that you feel you can tell others. And if, if you feel like that, I want to encourage you, talk to us. Come and get help. We will put someone alongside you that can help you tell your story. Help you deal with those situations where you feel afterwards, I should have said something, but I didn't know how to say it. The Lord wants us to be those that are saying something all the time, not missing a single opportunity. He wants us to be ready to share our story. That is how the mission moves. Because if we're ready, we're ready for the unexpected opportunity. I sat in the office the other day talking to one of our compliance managers, lovely guy, really, really lovely guy, never showed an interest in what I do, um, beyond work and he started asking me about what I do on Mondays so I gave him a, a minimal detail and then he asked me a bit more so I gave him a little bit more detail and he said so is it like some kind of I don't know is it like Buddhism is it like, and so then I just sat there and just told him the gospel and then he said yeah I think I believe that and I thought really <laughs> <laughs> you kind of had me fooled <laughs> it was the beginning of a conversation that I was not expecting at all and perhaps was a little bit slow at the beginning in rolling out the detail. But soon enough, I could hear Harvest language yeah. and Anna's voice was in my head saying, that's Harvest language, that's Harvest language. You need to know the Lord. We miss Anna, don't we? We miss Anna. He'll be here soon. That's my, uh, that's my hope. <laughs> okay, you ready for number five? Number five, we're nearly there. The last one is, it is a hope for everyone. 
John 3.16, we all know and love this scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. That is the most inclusive statement that's ever been uttered in history. There is nothing more inclusive than that. God loved the whole world and he invites literally everyone from it to come and trust in his son and have eternal life. It's a completely open invitation. There is no one excluded. We have a hope that is for everyone. The more I've walked with the Lord and seen what God saw before I got saved, which is very difficult to come to terms with the reality of sin, the more I've seen that, the more I've realised how unsavable I was. I didn't realise I was such a lost cause. So unlovable, so unsavable, I would not have bothered. I'm just being honest with you. I would not have bothered, but he did. And it, I think if he can save me, he can save anyone. And you may look at me and say, yeah, but you weren't a drug addict or you weren't a murderer or you weren't the worst of society. But when you start to understand sin, you start to understand it's not about those things. Sin is toxic and ugly. It's disgusting. We're not, but sin is. Sin is our enemy. Sin is the author of death. And sin, the power of it has been broken. And sin will be done away with and death will be swallowed up. The perishable will be swallowed up in the imperishable. And death will have no victory. If God can save me, he can save you. I don't know whether there's anyone in this room that doesn't believe or is not sure what you believe or maybe thinks that you're unreachable, unsavable, maybe a lost, bit of a lost cause, maybe you've let him down so many times, but there's no such thing as unreachable, there's no such thing as unsavable, there's no such person as an unstorable, there's no such thing as a lost cause as far as God is concerned. Nobody. The worst of the worst, God can save. We have the most inclusive gospel, the most inclusive message. We have the most inclusive God. None are excluded. Would you close your eyes for a moment? I'm going to ask the the worship team to come back up, please. And I just want you to consider this this last question. Just ask yourself. Do I see the whole harvest? Do I see the whole harvest? Do I see parts of the harvest? Maybe the things that are closest. The people that are likely to want to know Jesus. Not the people that are extremely unlikely and are dead set opposed to us right now and everything we stand for. Do we see them as part of the harvest?
Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would open our eyes. Jesus, you said, see the harvest. Fields are white. Oh God, I pray that you would let us see, not with our eyes, but with our hearts. Lord, let us see from the perspective of eternity, Lord, that we may see what you see. That none are unsavable, unreachable, unrestorable. But Lord, that you would see everyone made in your image, beautiful, but tainted by sin that you have already dealt with. Lord, in these days where hope is in short supply, where hope is in the wrong things, I pray that you would equip us as your people to hold out a rock-solid hope which is based on our relationship with Jesus, on the person and work of Christ Jesus, that, Lord, it's rooted in eternity, it's guaranteed with the seal of the Spirit, it's evidenced by our lives full of your resurrection power, and, Lord, from which we see none are excluded, but, Lord, everyone we see is someone with whom we can share our story and have a hope that you will reach them and bring them back to the Father God. That's our prayer this morning. Lord, we thank you for this hope we have. It's unmovable. It's rock solid. And we love you for it, Lord. Lord, I pray some of the things that we've talked about this morning, some of the things that we've asked you this morning, I pray that it will be the beginning of a conversation that will now continue between you and us. And that, Lord, you will bring things into alignment where they need to be so that our hope is resting in all these things. In the name of Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.